Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Kevin Dibley begins a new series, From Brokenness to Blessing, Into the Heart of God. The life of Abraham is a fascinating one because, as we will see, Abraham's journey was not so much a journey to the land of Canaan, but actually a journey towards heaven. His destination is not so much an earthly one, but a spiritual one. It's a journey of a fatherless and airless man into the presence and promise of God. It's a journey into the very heart of God. God takes a broken family and a broken man and shows him that he'll make him a father of many nations, who reflects the very heart of God the Father himself. This is an invitation to you all to bring your brokenness and join us in our study of the life of Abraham. May the story of Abraham's journey from brokenness to blessing become the story of all who find the hope of God by faith as he did. Let's worship together. To take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19. And uh, let me thank the worship team for serving us and uh, Kristen for a great song selection today. Just was really helped. Thanks, Ralph, for praying through Isaiah 53. Did you find yourself when uh, Ralph was reading that just going, wow, 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 that God would lay the iniquity of us all on him? One of the other encouragements for me in that passage of Scripture is the assurance that God will reward his son for his sacrifice at the end, that triumphant. And because of that, you and I are believers, uh, that he will have a people for himself for whom he has died. So even at 700 years before the time of Christ, we are in view and our salvation is there. So what great glorious news. Can I also um, just say to you folks, you know, as these are uh, unusual times again that um, if you want to come and use the property here at Waterbrook and walk around, it is really lovely uh, right now. And uh, when I come into the office in the morning and I listen, I'll stand at the door and I'll get like, I'll stand there and see how many birds I can identify. <laughs> but there's no ice on the lakes, the eagles are out. And, uh, you know, some mornings I stand there, I can identify about 20 birds just standing there listening. And so, you know, it's a great place to come and sit and pray and be alone. And we want the property to be available for you to be encouraged in in the Lord. So just use that. May this week be a time of reflection for all of us with our readings this morning, with Palm Sunday. The other thing I, I thought should hit us, you know, as we read about Palm Sunday, one of the things that's interesting is just how badly the disciples did the week. And I don't know about you, but that's helpful to me when I watch Peter and the gang, you know, and, and even the crowd on Palm Sunday. They're, one week they're yelling, Hosanna. The next week a crowd is yelling what? crucify him isn't that us isn't there a sense in which we all feel the fickleness of our own hearts and that's why genesis chapter 19 is so important for all of us because in genesis chapter 19 lot who's called righteous later on in the bible is struggling his way coming out of sodom and gomorrah and so this is one of those texts of Scripture that are hard to read, but let me at least put it to you this way. Now, one of the most loving things God does through His Word is to warn us with warnings that get a hold of our attention. Isn't it crucial that, we, that God gets a hold of our attention and warns us because He loves us? Um, Genesis 19 is one of the crucial central warning passages in all of the Bible. 
And it's meant to be an instrument of the Holy Spirit to drive God's people out of the wiles and the, and the lies and the deceitfulness of sin. John Piper says these words, Biblical warnings are one of the means that God uses to preserve his people to the end in the joy of faith and in the strength of assurance. I just want you to think about that for a moment because when you read stories like Sodom and Gomorrah, your first reaction isn't joy, is it? You go, man, this is heavy. Man, it's dark. Man, it's difficult. But as you read through it, you realize God is showing us that despite the darkness, God delivers. God's determination to save a people for himself. And that he calls us through these warnings to turn to him. This is actually an expression of deep fatherly love. Isn't it true a good father warns his kids? A good father pulls his children along and says, listen, there are dangers here that you need to be aware of. And the dangers are real and the dangers are serious. And so that's how um, Genesis chapter 19 works. Listen to Proverbs chapter 3, 1 and 2, because Proverbs does this. If you read through Proverbs, it's a father talking to the son, and he says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. And so you have the Father saying, listen to my commands, take this seriously. This is life for you. And then a few verses later, we've all memorized it probably, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path. The Bible argues that we would not trust in our own understanding. The Bible argues that we would not lean on ourselves, listen to the Word, be deceived even by our own hearts, but to trust in God above all. Psalm 19, or, or sorry, Genesis 19 is a text meant to drive you and I to run to the Lord for His wisdom. Uh, just a month or two ago, one of the families in our church, the Renbergs, um, heard an alarm going off in their house. And uh, they were a bit puzzled and they were a, a bit bewildered by the alarm going off. And as they made their way around down towards the basement, Raul could hear a, 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 a voice coming from the alarm. And the, the voice said what? Carbon monoxide. Carbon monoxide. And because carbon monoxide was coming up out of the basement and reaching him, there was a little bit of fog in his mind. You know what? We've been talking about the fog lately that's in people's thinking through being locked in and through COVID and all that. You get this foggy thinking. You don't think clearly. Well, this is what was going on. And for a moment, all of a sudden they realized they needed to get outside. And, you know, one of the great things is you need an alarm with batteries in it that has a shrill to it. Some texts have a shrill to them. And they're, they're there because the shrill is to wake you up. Genesis 19 is a carbon monoxide alarm in the Bible. That's how Jesus refers it. It is a clear warning sign to awake us from the sleepy perils of the culture that, that makes us have this mind fog, this soul fog that makes us uh, indifferent to sin and unaware. So take your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 17 so you can see how Jesus uses Genesis chapter 19 in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
Um, Jesus will do this with his disciples. This is one of the things where some people want to have a view of Jesus where Jesus is sort of placid, you know, they, they like the... They like Jesus riding in on the foal of a donkey. They don't like him the next day clearing the temple. But that's Jesus speaking clearly of the perils. And here in Luke chapter 17, Jesus speaks about the day coming when the Son of Man will return. And uh, this is what he says in verse, it says in verse 26. Jesus, these are Jesus' war, uh, words warning them. Just as it was in the day of Noah... So it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, drinking, marrying, giving, and given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot. So he's referring back to Genesis 19. Like it was in the days of Lot. They were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on that day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the, Lord, the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who's on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away, and likewise the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Most of us, if you study your Bible, know what happened to Lot's wife, right? In Genesis 19. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. You see the warning there that Jesus gives in this text of Scripture? You know, one of the things that we need to do in preparation for Easter as we think about Good Friday and the, and the cross of Christ, as we contemplate what God is doing uh, in the sending of His Son, we need to pause and realize that there is an intervention in human history because man is in a perilous predicament. We need a Savior. We have no answer from within. Education, politicians, economic interventions are not going to bring life back to normal. There is no normal. There's a new day coming, thank God, through Jesus Christ. But we need to be ready for that. And so when we come to Genesis 19, we have a text that's really helpful in helping us deal with the deceitfulness of sin and how to, how to turn from sin, and to identify sin, come out of the brain fog, and deal seriously, quickly, and decisively with sin. That's what we need to do, right? When carbon monoxide alarm is going off, you don't need to be sluggish. When sin is enticing you, when the world is bringing in the fog and you're getting distracted, you need a clear megaphone saying, come to Jesus, run to Jesus, do it now. And sin loves to discourage that. And this text is meant for God's people. Uh, let me use another illustration. Right now, March Madness is on. I don't know how many of you find basketball or watch basketball or watch sports. But one of the things you'll sometimes see, you, could, you used to see this in the NBA all the time, with some of the, the famous uh, players, they begin to get beside one another if they're waiting for a jump ball. You can see this. I always did this in hockey when I played hockey. Somebody get beside you and they start chatting it up beside you. And what are they trying to do? Trying to get in your head. Right? Trying, to, trying to get you to think somehow they're going to take you. They're going to conquer you. They're going to defeat you. They want you to lose 
the, the, the play of the game and lose the game mentally before you actually get in the game. That's what sin seeks to do. To get you in that fog so that you don't run to Jesus. And so here's what I want you to see that Genesis 19 is set up to show us Jesus says this, to get ready for the coming of Christ, to run from sin, to turn from sin and not be deceived by sin, to come out of the fog. And so that's the prayer you need to have today. That's the prayer I need to have today. Bring me out of the fog. How do you go from Palm Sunday to Good Friday? Aren't we prone to wander, Lord? Feel it? Prone to leave the God we love? Help us, O God. Wake us up call us out. And so I'm going to give you several principles out of Genesis chapter 19. And, and, and uh, let me just walk through what they are. First of all, don't listen to sin. And secondly, don't laugh at sin. Thirdly, don't linger in sin. And as Job's wife shows, don't look back at sin. And then finally, don't leave God's protection. Those are the things I want you to see. So let's, let's start out by by the saying, don't listen to sin's provocation. So in Genesis chapter 19, God sends two angels down to Sodom and they come to rescue Lot. And in um, Genesis 19, we have this scene. This plays out a similar scene in other passages of the Bible. But they come down to Sodom and as they come to meet Lot, Lot asks them, come into my house. He's kind of doing the hospitality that Abraham did in the previous chapter. Come into my house and stay. Let me uh, wash your feet and give you something to eat and you can rise up early and go. And they said, no, we're going to stay out in the town square. And he goes, you don't want to do that. You don't want to stay there, you know, and... And uh, when I talk to my kids sometimes down in Tegucigalpa, they'll say there are some areas in Tegucigalpa you don't want to wander off into that part of the city. I remember one time getting lost driving back from Michigan to Minnesota in the south side of Chicago. There was a moment driving through the south side of Chicago where I thought to myself, I don't think I want to stop here. <laughs> I hope my, I hope my uh, map uh, on my GPS is actually knows where it's going because it looked a little awkward as I was making my way through Gary, Indiana into South Chicago. I think this is not the way I wanted to go. And so, you know, here's, here's what's going on. They're, they're inside the angels. They say, no, we'll stay out here. And he says, no, you don't want to do that. Come on inside. And so they bring the angels in, and it's one of these horrific signs of a, of a culture that's been given over to wickedness. There is sexual perversion. And Genesis 19 is a picture of a culture that's been given over to the wrath of God, as Romans chapter 1 says. And it has become perverse, and so they come to the door, and they pound on the door and say, bring the men out to us. And of course, you see in this text of Scripture, if you, if you look at it, go down to Genesis chapter 19 in verse uh, 5. It says, And they called to Lot, Where the men who came tonight, tonight, bring them out to us that we may know them. And Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, said, I beg you, brothers, do not act wickedly. Behold, I have brought... My two, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Do you understand just the horrific nature of sin? 
I mean, even Lot living in the culture and afraid of the threatenings. And they say to him in this next verse, what do they say to them? In verse 9, it says, um, stand back. This fellow came to sojourn and he's become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. And so this becomes for us a picture of the battle with sin because you have these men coming in and saying, you don't give over uh, uh, these men to us. We'll do worse to you than we would do to them. And sin has that a power to come along and threaten. Someone who's trying to leave sin and pull out of sin, sin has these provocations. You need to stop listening to sin. What was, what was Lot doing wrong here? Just think about it for a moment. Lot was arguing with the men of the city, negotiating, offering members of his family. And I just want to tell you, I, as I read through the book of Judges, at the end of the book of Judges, which is the wickedness of humanity, this scene it almost exactly happens at the end of the book of Judges. And, and the man at the end gives his concubine and they murder her. Now, in, in, the, in the grace of God, what happens in this text of Scripture is the angels of the Lord pull Lot back in before he gives up his daughters and strikes the men who are coming at them blind so they didn't know where the door is. It's a bizarre scenario, but what's it meant to teach us? It's meant to teach us that sin will come along and provoke us and say, I've got control over you. I've got, I'll do harm to you. you. You have to give in to me. And then we, we offer up members kind of negotiating with sin. And the reality is that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And you and I need to realize that the, one of the ways that we fight brain fog and the effect of sin is to come to the truth of the gospel and let the truth of the power of the gospel... I mean, he had God's angels behind him on his side. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ on our behalf. So here's two lies that sin says. One lie is that sin still has power over you. It has the power to control you. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have a war with sin, but sin no longer has authority over the life of a believer. And it threatens. You don't give in to me? So, you know, somebody is dealing with addictions, the old voices come back. You don't have any power. You're stuck. You're weak. Right? You're no good. You start to hear the condemning voices in your head. Sin tells you it has power to control you and power to condemn you. And what we need to do is realize that we have more than two angels. We have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords on our behalf. And if you're battling sin today you, and you feel that voice coming, it's lust or it's materialism or it's the approval of men or if it's fear, that voice is starting to come in you. You need to come back and say, in the name of Jesus Christ, get behind me, Satan. And here are two realities. Number one, the power of sin is broken in the life of the believer. Take your Bibles and go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. The power of sin 
is broken in the life of the believer. Paul's argument all the way through, you know, Paul talks about his personal struggle with sin. I love Romans, the first several chapters of Paul's battling against sin. He said, you know what? He said, I thought I was doing pretty good until I read the law. (laughs) And the law said, don't covet. And all of a sudden, Paul was coveting power and position and notoriety or fame and all that kind of stuff. And Paul said, "Sin, the law rose up and sin killed me. But Paul argues in Romans chapter 6 that if you're in Christ, you've been crucified with him. And it's not just you, but the law of sin and death. So look at verse 7. It says, for one who has died has been what? Set free from sin. Now again, it's not arguing that there's no such thing as sin. What it says, what it's arguing is that the power of sin has been broken. One day in the new heaven and new earth, the presence of sin will be gone. But right now, the power is broken. I want you to hear that today. As you're thinking about Easter this week, ask, what's Jesus doing on the cross? He's breaking the power of sin. He's breaking its back through his death. And when he comes again, he'll remove it perfectly. Verse 11, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, you know, it's also interesting in Romans 6, he said, so no longer offer the members of your body as instruments of unrighteousness. So there's a, there's a pathway here where you go, A, sin, you are not the dominating ruling force in my life. Jesus Christ is. He's Lord of my life. And you have to mentally work that through. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. What does your own understanding say? I'm weak. I'm helpless. I'm hopeless. What does God say? You're mine. You're mine. You're mine forever mine. Is that good news? We need to hear that. Consider it. And then don't do what Lot does. Lot offers the members of his family to these men to corrupt them don't do that don't offer the member don't offer your the members of your body paul says don't offer your mind don't offer your tongue don't offer your eyes don't offer your tongue say no and so that's a mental practice that you can work out on easter week you you can say over and over again jesus has broke the back of sin Jesus has condemned sin. If anyone's in Christ, he's no longer a slave to sin. The other gospel reality is, because sin <laughs> says, you know, I'm going to condemn you. It's gonna, it starts you know, bringing charges against God's elect. That's why Romans 8 reads the way it is. Romans 8, 1 is what? Therefore, we had this as our fighter verse a couple weeks ago. Therefore, there is now what? No condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. When Christ is nailed on Good Friday to the tree, he's nailed, as, as Ralph prayed through Isaiah chapter 53, he's nailed in our place for our sin. Isn't that great? We believe in the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. God placed on him the iniquity of us all. What's Jesus doing there? Jesus is removing condemnation. The, the law and its demands for my punishment have been nailed to the tree. And I am free, free, forever free and forgiving. So that's the first thing. Don't, 
Don't listen to sin's lies and provocations. You are not condemned. You are not controlled. And I've done this in biblical counseling as I've talked to someone as they've been wrestling with sin. I've talked to them and I've said to them, hey, listen to me. Are you fundamentally happy in your sin? (laughs) And they've said, no, I'm miserable. And I said, why is that? Because you're Christ now. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. The old is gone. Behold, all things have become new. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So that's the first part there. Don't listen to the lies. Preach the gospel to yourself. Secondly, don't laugh at sin's perils. Now where do I get that? If you go back to Genesis chapter 19, Job, or sorry, Lot goes and pleads in Genesis 19. Lot goes and pleads with his sons-in-law. So listen in verse 14. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-laws to be what? Jesting. This is what Jesus refers to in Luke 17. He says, Likewise, just in the days of Lot, they were eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, and building. On that day when Lot went out from Sodom, and fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. You know, one of the, one of the things is it's hard when it's sunny out to believe judgment is coming. It's hard when the economy's okay to believe that the Lord is returning. It's hard when you read, as as the psalmist says in Psalm 73, that people are happy and prosperous and fat. (laughs) You know, to think that that anything could change. But what do we learn in 2020? Anything can change. The Lord just changes it in a second. And so this is one of the gifts of the Bible to us. So one, we shouldn't, we shouldn't, you know, um, we shouldn't laugh at sin's perils, these predictions, but we should take lovingly seriously Christ's predictions. You should do this. Uh, I have been amazed at how much of the Bible is filled with deep, difficult warnings. You can't have a Jesus when you read your Bible without reading that he's warning them that there's a day coming that the, the, the maidens need to get oil in their lamps before the, the return of the Master. That there are those who think they can persecute and put to death the Son. And the Pharisees knew who he was talking about. But the, one day the Lord will come and destroy them all. There are, there's a harvest day coming. Regular passages of Scripture. Easter, especially on Good Friday, Easter is a good day to look at the cross and think God is deadly serious about our sin. Isn't that helpful? It's helpful if you have a shelter. To sit under the shelter of the cross. Listen to 1 Peter 1, 17 and 19. This is, this is Peter exhorting the believers who are being persecuted. And, and you need to be reminded, they're being persecuted and he's saying, don't worry about persecution. You're in a better place than those who are persecuting you. And so it says, And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. What's he talking about? There's a day of judgment coming. 
Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited by the fathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. I would say what Peter's saying there is do what Ralph did this morning. Go read Isaiah 53. Read it over and over again and think, wow, thank you, Jesus. I, as Ralph was reading all those lines, like a lamb being led to the slaughter, right? As he's reading, as the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all on him. We considered him what? <laughs> Condemned and cast away, right? We looked at him. We, there is this temptation in life to get wrapped up with everything else and not feel. This is, this is one of the curses of sin. Things that seem serious are treated as light and things that are treated as substantial have no lasting value. I mean, if you turn on the news, there's a whole lot of wrangling of, wringing of hands and wrestling over passing, fading things. And there's a very lightheartedness over the fact that the Son of God came to die for sins, to save us. I think it's a gift of God's grace that you slow down and you think through what God is doing. We, we must stop and think on Easter. We also must think about the weight of this for a world that has rejected the Son of God and after he's laid down his life. You know, one of the lines, I heard it again this last week. I actually saw someone on Facebook talk about eternal consequences and someone said, I want to go to hell because that's where my friends are. And, uh, you know, if you've lived long enough, you've heard somebody say that, and I almost always want to interrupt someone and say, friendship is a grace of God. It is a grace enabled by God. It's actually true friendship is a reconciling gift. I read a quote yesterday from Luther to Melanchthon when they were separated under a time of persecution. And Luther was writing to Melanchthon saying, one day in the new heaven and the earth, we'll be able to pick up our friendship again. Friendship is a gift of God that will be enjoyed forever with Christ and his people for all eternity. Hell has no friendship. There are no friends, only enemies. Enemies of God and filled with sin. And so we just need to go through. So one of the ways that we can fight against, you know, this um, tendency to laugh away at the seriousness of things is read your Bible. Read the whole of your Bible. Read of all of what Jesus has said. You know, it's interesting. We've been studying um, gentle and lowly in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, those of you who are weary and heavy laden. Do you realize that earlier, just before that text, Jesus says his woes to Chorazin? And, and, and he writes, so as it was with if, if Sodom and Gomorrah had met me, they would have repented. How much more serious will it be for you in that day? That's the same chapter. Jesus will say, there's a hell to be shunned and fled from, and there is a grace to be had in me. Come, come, come. We need to hold both of those things together. Friends, let's not laugh at the, at the reality of what's going on. Let's just let it, let it linger there. 
Here's the other thing. We, we can linger over the truth, but let's not linger in sin's presence. Look at verse 15 and 16. It's an interesting passage. As morning dawned, sons-in-laws laugh. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. Look at verse 16. What did he do? But Lot lingered. Now, you, you stop and you think about yourself, why would he do that? <laughs> I mean, you, don't you think if angels showed up to you and said, get out, fire's about to fall from heaven, you'd get up and run out? The reality is you and I linger because the Bible tells us that there is a day coming. But we can find ourselves procrastinating getting right of God putting off repenting of sin. One of the kindest things the Bible says is don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about this. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today is a big word in the Bible. Today is the day of salvation. Right? God does not have to send you a second and a third and a fourth warning. One of my friends is a believer here who does, is involved in a ministry um, in the Twin Cities, an uh, in international ministry here in the Twin Cities. He was in my youth group up in Canada years ago, and he said he was sitting in my youth group at my house at a Bible study, and I said, God doesn't have to give you a second chance. If he does, it's a grace, but he's not required to give you. Today is the day. He said that stuck with him his whole life. And uh, I want to say that again today. Today, if you hear his voice. Listen to what Derek Kidner says in his commentary. The warning to remember Lot's wife gives us reason to see ourselves as potentially in the lingering, quibbling Lot himself, wheedling a last concession as he's dragged to safety. Not even brimstone will make a pilgrim of him. Isn't that humbling? He must have his little Sodom again if light is supportable. So if you hear yourself saying, God, can I just get back to normal? Say, God, never let me get back to normal. Get me to Jesus. Don't linger a second. If there's conviction, turn and run to Jesus. <laughs> I picture uh, a Christian in Pilgrim's Progress plugging his ears and running. Right? Just plug your ears and run. Turn off the TV and run. Run. Joseph running away from temptation. Sometimes you just need to run till you're far. Don't, you know, remember, what was that, Forrest Gump? Do you remember Forrest Gump went out and ran one day <laughs> and he just kept running? That's what you should do. Run to Jesus. Just keep running and running and running and running. Run to Jesus and don't look back. Don't look back. And so here, here's, here's what I want to give you as an encouragement. When, when in, in Lot's lingering, look at this text of Scripture. It says in verse 16, Lot lingered, so what happened? The men seized him. The angels seized him. And his wife and his two daughters by the hand. The Lord being what? Aren't you glad the Lord seizes you and yanks you when you're lingering in sin? Isn't that the good news of the gospel? I want to tell you, so this is maybe helpful if you're thinking, how do I do this? This is why you need to learn the discipline of listening to the Holy Spirit as you study the Word of God. 
Because the role of the Holy Spirit is to do what these two angels are doing. Because if you don't have the Holy Spirit yanking you, you'll stay in your sin. And so one of the great gifts of the gospel is like John says in, in his gospel that the, the, the Holy Spirit's been given to us, John sixteen seven. Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I, if I go, I will send him to you, and when he comes, he'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they don't believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you not see me any longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of the world is judged. So what's the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit comes and says, this is sin. There is judgment. Christ is the righteousness that you need. Run to Jesus. Isn't that great? Jesus says it's better that the Holy Spirit comes because he'll press on your chest. So one of the disciplines I try to apply is listen when the Holy Spirit comes and grabs you when you're lingering. Like Lot's Friends. Like the angels, grabbing Lot and saying, let's get out of here. The Holy Spirit will regularly say to you, young person, the Holy Spirit will say, it's time to get out of here. There are times in my life where the Holy Spirit said, you, Diddley, you need to get out of here now. When I was in university, I got, I got into scenarios that I didn't imagine getting into, being with a group of people, a secular world, and all of a sudden I could hear the Holy Spirit, run, Diddley, run. And I ran. By the grace of God, because you can hear that temptation. You can find yourself lingering. You, can, you become accustomed. It's stunning. So learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. We don't want to go back to normal life. We want new life in Christ. I had on my notes I put here, say no to the status quo. I don't want to stay where I am. I want to learn to be responsive to the Holy Spirit. Uh, one, of my, one of the great gifts my parents gave me, they gave me when I was baptized, I think it was, they gave me an NIV Bible, and on the front pages, I actually thought it was weird when they first gave it to me. They wrote James chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from, it, from the you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. And I thought, well, that's kind of a, not the, you know, wasn't like uh, Jesus loves me, this I know. <laughs> but it is my parents love me, and they knew me. <laughs> and, and what they were saying to me is, Dibley, son, there's going to be a multitude of temptations for you. Multitude of temptations. Resist the devil, and he will flee. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And that's what, that's what this text is. Don't linger for a second, the Holy Spirit comes. Draw near to the Holy Spirit. Develop a relationship where the Word of God is being imparted to you by the Spirit of God. May it be a discipline of maturity. I think maturity in a Christian is when a Christian stops talking to themselves and starts listening to the Scriptures as they are applied uh, at the moment in circumstances. Today, if you hear His voice. And of course, one of the chief Truths is don't look back at sin's pleasure. In, in Genesis 19, we have Lot's wife who gets turned into a pillar of salt. Verse 26, but Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And so, you know, here's one of the things that's really dangerous for Christians is to you look back at life, kind of like the people of Israel did in the wilderness. They looked back at Egypt and said, oh, if we could have onions and leeks again, 
right? They forgot they were slaves. And there can be this temptation in our lives to look back at a life of sin and then think to ourselves, wow. And you know the way this usually happens for us? We meet an old friend. We go to our old stomping grounds. And we see people who are still living in the sin that we used to live in. And they seem quite fine, right? And we look at it and we begin to think, you know, we, we look back, we think, you know, they, they seem like they're doing okay. And my life hasn't gone that well. You know, that's the other voice that comes in. Life's been hard since I've come to Jesus. And these people kind of look like they've got the Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, whatever is out there, life. They're influencers. And we're not. And you start to look at that lifestyle and you start to get envious and you start to wonder and go, God, it just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. And see, the enemy begins to erode. But I want you to take your Bibles and go to Psalm 73. Uh, this psalm has functioned in my life powerfully on more than one occasion. I, I was sh- sharing with uh, John this last week that the end of this chapter was used for me powerfully when a, my me- one of my mentors died. And I was praying on the morning after he died. And uh, I came to verse 23. Nevertheless, I'm continually with me, you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. Afterwards, you'll receive me to glory. I was sitting there reading that because I said to the Lord, you know what, I'm losing my advisors. And I count on them. And, and God told me in this text, he said, I am your advisor. And I, I went and told that to faith at that time and then I um, got on the phone and I called Dallas who was my friend Jack's wife and I said Dallas um, he had just died the night before can I come over and see you this morning and she said yeah I'd love, love you to do that let's, let's meet at 11 but she said I just want you to know Kevin that I've already chosen his text for his funeral it's Psalm 73 23 and 24 the Lord by the Spirit made me pray this verse and say the verse. And then I called up and said, this is the verse. I thought, that's not the verse for Jack's funeral. That's the verse for Kevin's future. And so this is a powerful text. But what happens in Psalm 73 is verse 3. When I was envious of the arrogant, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others. What happens to him? He says, he, gets, he begins to get... Verse 11, they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? That's the world around us. They're all happy. Who needs God? All this kind of stuff. You start to watch it. In verse 16, he says, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed a wearisome task until I did what? I went into the sanctuary of God. So sin tries to get in your head by pointing you to the world and saying to you, see, sin doesn't have any consequences. The, the sin brings joy. Sin brings prosperity. And, and then the, the Scriptures tell us, yeah, get into the temple. Because once you get into the temple, the answer in my life when I am tempted to look back at the pleasures of sin, and there are pleasures, fleeting pleasures tied to sin. When I'm tempted, in fact, it says in Hebrews 11 that Moses left the fleeting pleasures of sin in Egypt. But as I look at the pleasures of sin, I go into the temple and I see the pleasures of Christ. 
one of the best ways to fight sin is with worship. As one of the Puritan writers said, you need the expulsive power of a new affection. Because as you get down to the end of Psalm 73, he says, I realize they're in slippery bracelets, but you, God, never let go of my hand. Look at verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none, nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is what? The strength of my heart and my portion forever. How does he come out of it? He comes out of it with worship. Worship your way out of temptation. See God. That's what Easter's about. Every week is a celebration of the resurrection. Every Lord's Day you get together with God's people in order to hear the glories of Christ, to hear, and can it be that I should gain, right? An interest in the Savior's blood. Died he for me. And you just hear that and you hear it. That's why in little wheelchairs you have seniors in homes weeping when somebody comes and strums a guitar and awkwardly sings, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. We war against sin and the world with the worship of a far surpassing joy. The hope and the life of Christ. Is that not true? And here's the last thing I want to say. Don't leave God's protection. Don't leave God's protection. Stay in Christ's presence. And so, quickly, at the end of chapter 19, what we have is Lot leaving Zoar. He, he's running and he's saying, God, I don't think I can make it to the mountain. So God gives him a place, Zoar. And he's called to run to Zoar and hide there. And he gets to Zoar and fear fills him. And so he leaves the refuge that God gives him and runs to the mountains. And he gets up in the mountains. And of course there his daughters get him drunk. And as they get him drunk that, so that he might impregnate them. We, we see um, actually in the scriptures it tells us that this is devastating because they have two children, Moab and Ammon. And the Moabites and the Ammonites become brutal in Israel's history. They run, they run away from the safe haven of Zoar. And, and uh, John Owen in his book on fighting sin and temptation reminds us that there can be a temptation for us to think that if we get far enough away from sin, we won't have to fight it anymore. And Owen reminds us the problem is we take sin with us. Listen to what he says. When we realize a constant enemy of the soul abides within us, what diligence and watchfulness we should have. The problem isn't in Zoar, the problem is in Lot. How woeful is the sloth and negligence then of so many who live blind and asleep to the reality of sin. There is an exceeding efficacy and power in the indwelling sin of believers for it constantly inclines itself towards evil. We need to be awake then if our hearts would know the way of God. Our enemy is not upon us as it was with Samson, it's within us. Isn't that what Galatians teaches? There's a battle between the spirit and the flesh. Sin doesn't have power and control over us. It's been broken, but sin is there. Indwelling sin is there nonetheless. And we need to run to Christ. And so here's what I want to say. Don't leave Zoar. You think, well, what does that mean? I think in a couple means it means don't leave communion with God. 
You need to commune and abide in Christ. Jesus says, abide in me. Apart from you, you can do what? Nothing. Stay in communion with God. Stay there. Stay close. But also, the Bible teaches, stay in community with God's people. That's why it's hard to cancel worship. Because we realize we're at war with sin. And we need to hear people worshiping. And we're determined to do this right so we can maximize our time together. That's why, in one sense, we canceled today. We just wanted to reduce the risk that we can't get together on Easter. We were weighing out. What should we do? Let's, let's just be extra safe this week so that we can be together next week and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We need to be with God's people. And when you can't physically be together, you still need to be communicating. You still need to be calling. You still need to be praying. You still need to be connected. We need to help each other. We can't be all things to all men in that sense. We are called to do that in the gospel minister, but in, there's a sense in which all of us have gifts, all of us have connections, and all of us need each other. Isn't that true? So Hebrews chapter 10 gives us this exhortation. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, listen to this, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Friends, the day is drawing near. You don't have to watch the news. <laughs> but this culture is in trouble. This world is under the wrath of God. There is hope and salvation for the nations. That's what we've been called to do. But we need to run to Jesus. You can do that. This is a battle plan to fight against sin and to find hope in Christ. Let's pray together. So, Father, as we have contemplated fleeing Sodom for Christ, we pray, dear God, for grace upon grace. For we hear sin intimidating us, but we hear the gospel liberating us. We hear, dear God, in our own hearts that tempting not to take seriously the tough passages of Scripture, but help us to listen to the warnings and heed them. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would not linger in sin. But today, if we hear our voices, someone's out there today, Father, would you by the Spirit tell them, run to Jesus right now. Sin has been broken. The price has been paid. Forgiveness has been offered. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you send the Holy Spirit to grab us by the hands and pull us out of sin and bring us to your Son. And Heavenly Father, I just thank you that one day you're going to make it all new. So help us to worship you and love you and delight in you. May the pleasures of sin fade against the glories yet to be revealed. Show us your glory. Show us Jesus. Save us, O God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were able to seek, savor, and share the all-surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to find out more about our church, submit a prayer request, watch previous sermons, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed week.